Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. We are starting a new series uh, today for the next uh, at least four weeks on everyone's favorite topic, fasting. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, and so in, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting uh, something that we do on a yearly basis, a, a yearly rhythm that we have where we, we embrace fasting for, for 21 days as a church. And so we're going to be doing that from the 6th to the 26th uh, of November. In fact, there's going to be a slide up uh, behind me, more than just my name. Although I am John O'Brown, if we haven't met yet, it's nice to meet you. Hopefully you figured that out. You're like, oh yeah, that's that guy, probably works out. Uh, but we're going to put up a slide that just gives you a little detail about how you can sign up for the fast. It's the first slide. It's the white one, the one that I didn't make, so it looks flasher. That's my instructions for the production team. We'll put it up at some stage, or the other thing I was going to say is we're talking about the fast now, and, and you may have quickly done some quick head maths and gone, the 6th of November, that's not today, right? In fact, what we're doing is we're fasting for 21 days, but we're going to be talking about fasting for 22 days before we start fasting. Uh, and the reason that we're, we're doing that is, uh, I, I think for, for a lot of us, especially with fasting being something in this 21-day fast being a bit of a yearly rhythm, there we go, I can tell it came up because you're all blinded, squinting, right? Uh, so if you are looking to sign up, you can A, scan that QR code, which I think is quite cool because it's got a thing over top of it, but it still works. So that's uh, technology. Or you can simply go to equipuschurch.com slash the fast, uh, and that will be up online for forever. So um, do go and grab that at some stage. But I lost my own train of thought by the sun behind me. What was I saying? I'm talking about fasting. I'm going to do that. Oh, so we're talking about it before we do it. Uh, because, because fasting is a bit of a practice for us, one of the, that's a beautiful thing. But one of the things that can result from that is we all kind of just fall into our, our default settings, Yeah. If, if you're keen on it and if you've been doing it, maybe you go, oh, yeah, I'll fast again this year. But maybe if you're honest, I know this has happened for me, uh, especially if we do something like the Daniel fast, it kind of goes from being a bit of a spiritual practice seeking after God to being quite a convenient health kick just before the end of the year. And you're like, I think this is meant to be something to do with God. Maybe I'm feeling closer to God or maybe I'm just feeling better about myself because I'm, I'm eating healthier food. And, uh, you know, at least at the very least, it's a great little diet fad. That's not really what we're going for. We're not against healthy eating, but that's not the goal, right? Or maybe you're like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really want to do that. That seems like, you know, embracing discomfort for the sake of discomfort, and that's a bit weird, right? We're not like monks who, who punish ourselves because we have some sort of guilt problem going on. Like, I, I don't need to fast. I'm not going to do it, and, and so we just go past it. But when we just kind of turn over into it year after year without really talking about it, maybe we just go into our defaults. We say that that's kind of a fair assessment of some of the things that we do. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's not good, but it's good that we're acknowledging it. Uh, or maybe you're somewhere in between, right? You're like, well, sometimes I fast, and, and sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it's just a health kick, and sometimes I just don't do it. Wherever you are, uh, it's our intent that, that as we talk about fasting, that God would, would hopefully talk to you in some sort of way about what could this discipline, what could this practice look like for you, not just in the 21 days that we're doing it, although we hope that you join us in some way, shape, or form, but actually it's, it's my prayer that this would result in, in us establishing fasting as something of a practice in our daily lives, whatever that might look like for us. Is that all right? So cards on the table, that is my plan for the next four weeks. So uh, before we do fast, we're going to take a few weeks to talk about it. Before we talk about it, let's pray. Yeah? Awesome. Wave our heads uh, and, and uh, let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for this time together. 
God, we thank you that you, that you are with us. And I even think just as we sung, God, that we just, we just want to encounter you today. And I thank you that even as we talk about fasting, that there's something that, that lines up in, in that song and in this practice, that we, we just want to pursue you, not just with our ideas, not just with our thoughts, but, but even with our body. And so as we look at what that might look like today, God, I pray that it would not be my ideas or my words, that I would not convince us of anything, but that today you would speak that we would leave here encouraged, that we would leave here equipped, that we would leave here with clarity. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, as we kind of start talking about fasting, the, the question I think that, that we should start with is, is quite simply, why do we fast, right? Maybe today, you know, as we've been talking about fasting, every time we talk about fasting, that's the question you ask, like, why? Why do we do this? This seems silly. I like eating food. Uh, Jesus ate lots of food. I want to do that bit with Jesus. Why, why should I fast? And Jesus did. Jesus was great around a table. Jesus feasted. But Jesus also fasted. And as a people of faith, as Christians, I want to suggest that we do more than just believe in Jesus. Right? We do believe in Jesus, just to be really clear, but we do more than that. We do more than just believing. A being a people is more than just a set of ideas. We want to actually follow Jesus. And we've been saying, and it's not language unique to, to our time and place or our house, but, but a little bit of what that looks like is it looks like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And, and a part of that is embracing how he lived, what he called the, the good life, to live as he lived in order to open our whole lives up to God, to be transformed from the inside out. And as I said, while Jesus was great around the table, while he feasted, Jesus also fasted. So it's something we should at least pause and go, all right, well, if Jesus did this, if this was significant for him to do, then maybe we should consider it as well. You know, maybe the most uh, famous instance of, of Jesus fasting is when he began his ministry with 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, and at the end of those 40 days, the devil tempted him to eat, and he responds, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, all throughout the Gospels, we read these accounts of Jesus, these stories of him fasting. One kind of instance in which he speaks on, on fasting that I'd love for us to turn to, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. This is Jesus not just fasting, but he's talking about it. He says this to, to the disciples, teaching them on fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I think there's two things that, that we should notice about this, maybe three, in fact. One, that there can be a way of fasting that's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that, that the, the Pharisees, the, the hypocrites that Jesus was referring to, they would put ash on their face, and, and their fasting wasn't really about trying to pursue God. It was about showing everyone else how important they were, how holy they were, how pious they were, how, how much better they were on the social standing. Look at me and how well I fast. Look at how, how kind of contrite and holy I am. You should respect me. Right? That's not what fasting is about. That's not what we're about. And there can be some reactions to that that say, oh, well, then you can never let anyone know that you're fasting. You can't do something like a corporate 21-day fast because no one can know you're fasting. You have to do fasting in secret. But then it's kind of counterbalanced by the fact that we see all throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the church getting together to fast corporately. So it's kind of not obviously what Jesus meant. 
But it's interesting what, what Jesus does mean here. The first is that he assumes the disciples will fast. Right? He starts when you fast. Not, not if you fast or, hey, guys, I really think maybe you should fast. It's a given assumption when you fast. So, so that's the initial thing of, hey, this is just kind of an assumed part of following Jesus, of, of being a people of faith. And, and then he continues to say, he says, when you fast, that the Father will reward you. Which I don't know about you, but my ears pick up at that a little bit. Like we just sung about the fact that we, we're not coming to Jesus for blessings, right? But... If we can live in such a way that we bring ourselves in line with what Jesus is doing and that there are blessings on the other side of that, we're also not such a people that we're like, oh, no, no blessings. All blessings are bad, right? We give up. We take a, you know, all, we, we renounce all pleasures of the flesh. Like nothing can happen, nothing good. If I feel good, that's the devil, right? That is not our view. And so there's something there to say, hey, there is a blessing in fasting. We don't fast for the blessing. And that's kind of the whole point of this message today that I'll get to. But there is some sort of a reward that when we fast, when we pursue Jesus, actually maybe we find something of him. Maybe we find something of his character. Maybe we find something of his, of his peace. Maybe we find something of his provision. And that might not be what you think of when you think of fasting. If someone's like, hey, man, let's, I'm, really, I'm, I'm praying through this thing. Would you fast with me? I don't think many of us are like, heck yeah, some blessings for me. That sounds fantastic. Like, I don't know. What are you fasting? How long? I don't know if I want to do that, right? In fact, studies show that most Western Christians just don't really fast. We're actually a little bit outside of the norm as, as the church here, where, where we at least have like a, a yearly rhythm of fasting. That, that's not even seen in most churches in the West. But while we don't fast so much as the church in the West now, I want to remind you of the fact that we used to. Can I give you a quick kind of brief history of fasting? Anyone up for that? I didn't know what I was going to get today. That's what you're getting, right? Fasting is interesting because fasting, I want to acknowledge, is a part of every major religion in the world, right? Including Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and most indigenous spiritual practices incorporate some aspect of fasting. But what's interesting is that the first mention of fasting as a spiritual discipline in all of the world is in the book of Exodus, it's the very first one that we find uh, in, in kind of uh, historical accounts, and it's Moses' 40-day fast on Mount Sinai, followed by the command for the, the Israelite people, all of Israel, to fast on the Day of Atonement, or what's, what's known as Yom Kippur. And, and then all throughout the Old Testament, there are stories of fasting, all kind of the, from Moses onwards, all of the major characters in the Old Testament fast at some stage. Moses fasts, David fasts, Samuel fasts, Esther fasts, the prophets fast. And by the time of Jesus, fasting has become such a common practice for the Jewish people that, that they fast twice a week until sundown. And in fact, the early Christians, they continued this practice. In the Didache, which is the, the first Christian writings that we have outside of the New Testament, it's kind of a bit of a handbook of like, hey, this is what we think it looks like to follow Jesus. Fasting is instructed on Wednesdays and Fridays every week, and for two full days before you're baptized. And then Lent, everyone familiar with Lent? Like we don't practice Lent so much as a, as a church in, in our disciplines, but Lent, which is the six weeks prior to Easter, that originated as a fast. A, a fast leading up to Easter where the followers of Jesus would not eat until sundown each day. And, and in fact, Ramadan was later based on the Christian practice of Lent. That's how it kind of came about. 
which I think is interesting. And then Lent was concluded after those six weeks of fasting from sun up to, to sunset with a full fast between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the 40 hours between Jesus' death and resurrection. See, my point is, from the beginning of the church, fasting was pretty central to what it looked like to follow Jesus. There were both regular fasts, like one-day fasts every Wednesday and Friday of the week, and periodic longer fasts like Lent. And this lasted for well over a thousand years before it started to die out. Uh, in, in the 18th century, John Wesley, who's the founder of Methodism, he, he kind of lamented. He writes in, in one of his more complainy letters. And John Wesley is a great guy, but he has some great complaining letters. He, he writes this. We'll put it up on the screen behind me. He says, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice in the month. We're like, yeah, for shame, not even twice a month. I was don't even, not even committed, I know, that's wow. See, Wesley himself, he fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays like the early Christians, but Wesley took it another step. Wesley refused to ordain any pastor who was not also fasting Wednesdays and Fridays. Like he was hard line. You read some Wesley, it's kind of one of his um, key characteristics. And I'm not saying I agree. Right? That's not our practice here within Equipus Churches or Acts Churches. It's not in our ministry handbook, like ordination pathway, make sure they're fasting twice a week. But, but, but I do think, I'm not saying that we have to fast. I'm not saying it's commanded. I'm not saying that God's love for us is contingent on it. But I am saying that followers of Jesus used to fast, and they used to fast a lot. That, that it was considered as a central way of following Jesus, as central as, as reading your Bible or going to church, and it still is outside of the Western church, right? Fasting is vigorously practiced by the Eastern streams of the church, such as in the Eastern Orthodox Church, or the Coptic Christians in Egypt, or the Delete in India, or the church in Iran, and all throughout Africa. See, my, my point is quite simply this. Fasting throughout history has been one of the most essential and powerful of all of the practices of following Jesus, and it's arguably the single most neglected practice in the modern Western church. I'll speak more on this next week, but the modern Western church that happens to find itself in a culture that is obsessed with pleasure and avoiding discomfort. The practice that would seek to bring us into intentional discomfort and foregoing pleasure. We're like, mm, I don't think we need that one anymore. Just think it's an interesting coincidence, right? See, we're coming into a 21-day fast. And, and the, the reality is that currently many of us don't participate. And I don't say that to, to judge anything because you don't have to. But, but I do say that to point out that I do think we miss out. And what's more, many of us do participate, but it's the only time of the year that we fast. And, and it's amazing that we fast at all. But again, in only fasting once a year, I want to suggest in my lived experience, I think we're missing something. And I think the reason is, is partially because it's all just kind of confusing, isn't it? it was some clarity was calling us. It's confusing when we think about fasting. We, we start to think, man, like, what, what does fasting look like? And when should I fast? And how long should I fast for? And, and what should I fast? And so, uh, again, I'd like to cover just a few quick kind of basics of fasting. Is that good? You with me so far? No one's like, um, why did I come to church on the fasting sermon? I'll come back next week. We're talking about something else, right? right? So a few basics of fasting. First off, you know, to go really, really basic, what is fasting exactly? Well, at its most basic, fasting is going without food. 
right? And, and I say that because often people say that they're fasting from like shopping or, or social media, and, and those are great things to do, but I just want to draw the distinction that that's not what the early church meant when they talked about fasting. Really, if we were to use kind of church history language, those sorts of activities, giving something up in that sort of way that is not food, that, that's called abstinence. And that, again, that has a, a long and storied and rich history within the church. That is a good thing to do. And it might be something that you do for the 21-day fast. You incorporate some sort of abstinence. I think that is a great thing to do. I'm not speaking against that. But I make the distinction because I would also encourage you to, at some stage in your walk with Jesus, try fasting in the most traditional sense going without food in some sort of way. And I'm not saying it has to be for long. It might be sun up to sunset. You're just really missing the, the middle day if you get up early enough to have your breakfast before. It's easier in winter, right? You're like, yeah, fasting, I just don't eat between 12 and 1. I can gorge for the rest of the day. Right, but, but fasting, and, and I also, I guess I, I probably want to take a moment here to say that some of us in the room might have a complicated relationship with food. Right? And so when I talk about going without food, for, for you, that kind of practice, that doing that is a gateway to some unhealthy behaviors that you know are, are destructive for you, and, and that would be unwise. And I want to say, again, with all of this, there's no command, there's no instruction, nothing has to be done. But if you find yourself in that situation, I would suggest that the best thing that you can do is to find health and freedom in that area. Right? When we fast, we bring our body to God as, as an offering. And if you need to, to work through, maybe your offering to God is, is living in a way that honors and respects your body. And you're like, I can't do that in a healthy way. And so if you can't, then, then that's all right. And we'd love to help you in that journey and walk alongside it with you. But for the majority of us in the room, fasting at its most essential is simply not eating food. And so then it becomes, okay, well, I can do that sometimes. Like I'm not always eating. How long do I have to not eat for? And again, there's no kind of set time. The, the most common fast that we find throughout Scripture is from when you wake up until sundown. And, and there are examples in Scripture of two-day fasts, of three-day fasts, of seven-day fasts, of 21-day fasts, and even of 40-day fasts, right? So the, the length of time is kind of up to you. There's no, hey, if you do it for longer, you're more holy or you're a better person. It's just the conviction that, that you have. So then if, if what you fast is fasting is not eating and, and how long you do it for is kind of up to you, when do you fast? Like, is it fine to just fast once a year? Again, because it's not a command, it's really up to you. In, in both scripture and in church history, we see two different kind of types of fasting uh, on display. We see fasting as rhythm and we see fasting as, as a response. Fasting is a rhythm, it includes examples like fasting twice a day, when, sorry, twice a day. I mean, I guess that's if you miss, you know, the traditional miss breakfast and, uh, and lunch, that's twice a day. But uh, I meant twice a week, like Wednesday and Friday for most of church history, or maybe even in currently in the, in the Catholic tradition, fasting on, on Fridays uh, as currently happens now. But then there's also fasting as a response. And, and in the Bible, most of the examples that we see of fasting are this type of fasting. Probably because there's a bit of like a narrative bias where if people are just living life and everything's going good, they're not writing down, and then I fasted on Wednesday. But when there is an enemy at the gates and the nation is about to be sacked and they're like, God, we really need help, they write down, and then we fasted because we're talking about everything that we did. And so that's the most uh, kind of common example we see in Scripture. In 1 Samuel 31, when King Saul dies, the entire nation fasts for seven days in, in mourning. In Jonah 3, when Nineveh is warned of their coming destruction, the king calls for a citywide fast. And this is a pagan nation. 
and, and they are spared. In Esther 4, when the Hebrew people are threatened with genocide, Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast and the people are saved. See, I just want to say this to, to point out that fasting can be both a rhythm and a response. There's not really a right or wrong. So yes, we can embrace yearly fasts. And yes, we can set aside days of the week. And yes, when things are getting tough and we're like, I really want to kind of dig down into God and what you have for me. And I just feel called to fast. Then we can do that as well. There is not a right or a wrong. And I hope that that brings some sort of clarity to us in the room today. And it brings me back to my original question, perhaps my most important question. Why do we fast? Right? If fasting is simply going without food for some sort of an amount of time, why do we do it? Like, what, how is this not just the ancient equivalent of some kind of fancy diet fad culture? Really, I'm going to be answering that question hopefully across the next four weeks. In four weeks' time, you can tell me if I have or not. But uh, John Mark Comer groups fasting into four basic categories that I think are really helpful. He says that we fast, number one and most importantly, to offer ourselves to Jesus. As a bringing of all of who we are to Jesus, and that in doing so, as we fast, we also, number two, grow in holiness. We, we deny our flesh, and, and in doing so, we seek to partner with God to, number three, amplify something of our prayers. To say, God, there's something going on here that doesn't quite make sense, but to, to amplify, God, I'm, I'm make, I'm, this is not just a head prayer, it's not just an idea, this is I'm praying with my body to finally, number four, stand with the poor. And across the next three weeks, we'll be speaking uh, about all of those. But today in the time that we have left, and I won't take long, I want to look at what I think is the most central reason that we fast, that if we, if we do all the other things without this, we're really missing the core of it, is we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. See, as I said, the, the early Christians continued the Jewish practice of fasting twice a week from sunrise until sundown. But what I didn't say, I said that they fasted on, do you remember what days early Christians fasted? They fasted on? Friday. Hey, you were listening. Fantastic. Right? They fasted on Wednesday and Friday. What I didn't say is that those weren't actually the days that, that the Jewish culture fasted. Jewish culture fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Right? And, and they shifted, the early church shifted the days that they fasted from Monday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday because Wednesday was the day that Jesus was betrayed and Friday was the day that he was crucified. See, the, the early church fasted as a way of getting in touch, not just in an idea way, but, but bodily at kind of a primal level with what the New Testament writers called participating in the sufferings of Christ. They intentionally adopted this pattern that, that it was laid down by Jesus of dying and rising, death to self, and followed by, by life in God. Not out of some kind of hate of the body or pleasure, but out of a desire for Jesus. A desire to be with Him, to, to become like Him, to remind themselves viscerally in their body of His love and of His truth. And I want to suggest that this is the ultimate reason for fasting. Fasting is a hunger for Jesus, for, for the kingdom, for his transformation. The New Testament scholar Scott McKnight calls fasting body talk. A way of speaking, not just with our ideas or our mind, but with our very body. A way of praying with your body, saying, God, I hunger for you. I want you. I need you. Because think about it for a second. W what is hunger? Well, maybe if you're going to embrace fasting with us, you'll become more acquainted with that uh, question. You'll be able to answer it in quite some detail uh, in, in the 21-day fast. But hunger really, at its most basic, is a feeling of wanting or needing something that you don't have. And if we're honest, we, we might not always feel hungry for God. 
I think sometimes within church, there can be a sense of kind of a hidden shame of, of walking in and being like, oh, like I'm here, but only because it felt kind of a little bit inconvenient to not be here. Like I'm used to doing this and I felt like someone would notice and I just didn't want to have that conversation. So I didn't really want to come today. I'm just showing up. And there could be a sense of that kind of feeling of God. You know, sometimes I'm hungry for you and sometimes I'm just a bit apathetic. And I don't mean anything by it, God. This is just where I'm at. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think honest, uh, often for some of us, we might feel apathetic about God, about life in general. But we all hunger for some sort of meaning. We all hunger for some sort of purpose and, and satisfaction. And we often just look for it in the wrong places. We look for it in our surface level desires for in pleasure or accomplishment or things or status. We go, I don't know if I'm hungry for God. I think I'm just hungry for a new car. Like, I think that'll make me feel better about my life. I, I don't know if I'm hungry for something more of who God is and what he has for me. I think I just need a holiday, just feeling a bit tired. And there's nothing necessarily innately wrong with a, a new car or a holiday, but often the deep desires that we have, we are profoundly unaware of, and we attempt to meet those deep desires with surface-level desires. We say, oh, I'm just going to be kind of true to myself. I'm just going to meet the needs that I have. But uh, let me use, because I realize that's a bit of a heavy thing to talk about. Let me use a non-loaded example. Is that all right? We good? We good. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a bit easier. Yeah, a little bit easier. Not unloaded example, uh, the supermarket checkout line, right? Imagine it in your mind's eye. You're at the supermarket, you're going through checkout. It's, it's, it's all right. There's not too many people in front of you. You don't have anywhere to go, so you can unclench your fists, those of you who are instantly like, I hate the supermarket. Some of you are like, supermarket checkout line? I do not understand. I get my groceries delivered. What is this experience, right? Imagine back in the day when you used to go to the supermarket. Right, so you're in the supermarket checkout line. You are waiting to buy groceries. And, and, and while, I, while I'm waiting to pay, you're offered with two options. Right, to your right is a magazine rack covered with beautiful people who have been photoshopped to perfection. And to your left, there is another magazine rack, but this one doesn't have people on it. This one is covered in decadent photos of food. Right? There's cakes, there's enchiladas, there's, there's burgers. They're also all photoshopped. Right? So there's fake food on, on one side, fake people on the other side, but that's another sermon. We are, we, but I can't look like that, and I can't cook like that. I am miserable. Yes, that is the intent. It's what the consumerism is trying to do. Right? So buy more things. So there you are. You're in the middle of spiritual warfare, and you didn't even realize it, at the supermarket. And then over top of both of the magazine racks, right, the perfect-looking people, the perfect-looking food, is one other thing to, to meet you in your commiserations of you don't look like that and you cannot cook that food, and that is candy, right? And so there you have it. You, you're being a shelf stacked with sugar. You're offered chocolate. You're offered gum. Some of you offered, you know, like energy drinks, fizzy drinks, cookies, chips, the good stuff. We all know, you know, we've all had that feeling. When you're at, and you've done, you're very proud of yourself. It's just in a nice, healthy shop. Didn't get the chips, bought the salad. You are standing in line, and you see, like, well, just one little reward, right? It doesn't, it doesn't count if I eat it in the car. No one will know. And so you take just a one Snickers bar, and you're like, well, one's never enough. Maybe two, right? And then one thing leads to another. And so there, as you're standing in the line, there, there's these two deep primal desires in your soul. On on one hand, you want to look like Ryan Reynolds, or if you're like me. You want to look a little bit more like Ryan Reynolds, right? Because we're acknowledging that I'm already quite, I'm doing quite well, right? Uh, and then on the other side, you want to eat a Snickers and a bag of chips. And those two desires are mutually exclusive, right? Both desires are authentic. Both desires are your true self. But you cannot do both. You cannot gorge and look gorge, in my experience. Thank you. I wrote that joke, and I was like, that's a zinger. That'll go down well. 
when I write it. It's a little moment in my week, right? You should have seen me. I punched here. It's like, yes. Come on, Jonah. I'll bring it back out later, right? It'll be the running joke for the whole series. See, I'm saying this because the reality is true of some much more sensitive and much more serious conflicts of desire in us. I don't know about you, but I want to love my children well. I want to be present as a father. But also, if I'm honest with myself, there are moments in my life in which I also want to close the door, watch TV, and let them sort out their own problems. Like you're three and five, surely you cannot damage each other that much. Just give me some time. Right? I, I want to be a person of, of deep uh, gratitude and, and content with what I have, and I also want to practice radical generosity. But there's also a part of me that would quite like a new jacket and a nicer car and a bigger house. And so these conflicts, these desires that we feel or don't feel when maybe we think, I really feel like I should long for God more, but I just feel kind of like a, a numbing throughout life because of the indulgence of the surface level desires. We don't feel our deepest desires. We could say it this way if we put this up on the screen. Often in life, our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. The things we feel in a moment, oh, I really want to eat that bag of chips, or, or I really want to just go and ex- engage in pleasure, or I really want to avoid this discomfort. The strong desires that we have are not actually the deepest desires of our heart. And the reason that fasting is one of the most important practices in following after Jesus is, is because, as we'll speak about next week, as we hear in Romans, often the things that we do not want to do, we end up doing, and the things that we do want to do, we don't end up doing. And fasting is one of the key ways that we can train ourselves to pursue not just our strongest desires, but our deepest desires, to awaken in us a hunger for God and, and truth and peace. But, but more on that next week. For now, what I simply want to say is that fasting is a practice in which we offer our whole life to God. I think of Paul's line in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, writing to the church in Rome, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I want you to note Paul's word choice here, offer your bodies. The Greek word here is soma, which we get from the, the word somatic, and it means your whole person, including your, your physical bodies. And I make this distinction because I think that we often talk about giving our hearts to Jesus, right, within the Western church and kind of our expression. And I think we should. I think that, that that's beautiful. But I just want to point out that Jesus doesn't just want our hearts, Jesus doesn't just want our emotions or our our feelings, our heart, our emotions, our feelings are important, but Jesus actually calls for all that we are. That following Jesus is not something where we're like, oh, I'm going to follow you with with my emotions and my feelings. I'm going to feel like following you, but my body's just going to do whatever it wants, right? It's got a crazy mind of its own. That actually something of how we live with our bodies is, is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. See, in, in my opinion, part of the reason that we emphasize heart over the whole person is because in the Western church, we've lost what Pope John Paul II called a theology of the body. Which, I mean, he's got a long explanation of, of what it is. But to put it quite simply, it's the truth all throughout Scripture that you don't have a body, you are a body. Or or to be more precise, your body is a part of who you are. 
See, I, I want to remind you of this. Jesus came in a body to live among us. It's a doctrine that we call the, the incarnation. And he came to, to make right what was wrong, to save all of us, not just kind of our, our minds or our emotions that will one day float away to, to play, you know, harpsichords in the clouds, but to save our bodies, a doctrine that we call the resurrection, that one day in the future, at Jesus' return, what happened to Jesus' body will happen to the bodies of all of his followers, that we will be raised from death, to life in a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. And so in the meantime, our discipleship to Jesus isn't removed or distinct from our bodies. Paul says again famously in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, therefore honor God with your bodies. Right? This idea that your body is a temple, a dwelling place for God, and so what we do with our bodies matters. I just really want to say following Jesus is more than just a set of ideas. And, and it's in the body and what we do that our discipleship to Jesus becomes real, where it's not just an idea or even a feeling, but a practice or what Jesus calls a, a way of life. See, one way to think about discipleship is, is as a disciplined attempt to get the teachings of Jesus into our bodies themselves, into our neurobiology, into what, what we would call our muscle memory, so that when we're confronted with various situations, when we are squeezed, when things get hard, His teachings just come out of you without you even thinking about it. That something is, is baked into us in such a way that we will never be perfect the side of eternity, Right? But that the trajectory of our character is that when things get hard, something of who Jesus is comes out of us. It might not be the first thing that comes out, but that we would catch whatever else is coming out quick enough to repent and turn back, God, I want to be more of who you have for me to be. I say this because fasting is one of the best possible ways to get the teachings of Jesus into your body. I'm done as the band comes to join me. But, but as I finish, I just want to take us back to this passage in Romans 12. He says, we offer our whole persons, including our bodies, to Jesus in view of God's mercy. I want, I want to land it here because I think what this communicates to us is that we do this for Jesus. In, in view of God's mercy, we, we do this from a place of realizing everything that he's done for us. That, that we give up maybe food or maybe abstain from something because Jesus gave up everything. We offer our body in devotion because He gave His body for our salvation. And we fast for all sorts of reasons. There are all sorts of other added benefits. There are rewards. There are things that work well that we'll, we'll talk about in the weeks to come. I think fasting is something that makes sense, not just spiritually, but it is in line with the created order. We start to see, hey, there are some really beneficial ways that our body responds to this, almost as if there are rhythms in the way that our body is made that God knows. But if nothing else, we come back to this reality that, that we fast not to get something from Jesus, but simply to give something to Him. What, what Paul would call worship, our love, our affection, our, our devotion. See, to end, Jesus assumed that His disciples will fast when you fast. But He never commanded fasting. Neither did any of the apostles in the New Testament. They, they all fasted, but they never laid down like a regime to follow because you don't have to fast. It's not required to fast because Jesus loves you as you are and fasting will not make him love you any more and not fasting will not make him love you any less. We don't want to get back into kind of a, a law way of attempting to impress God. That's not what it's about. But at the same time, Jesus fasted. And he said, come and follow me. 
And practices like fasting and prayer and and Sabbath are, are how we follow Jesus, how we open our whole person to His grace to be transformed. You know, for me, it's, it's only been in recent years that I've started fasting as, as not just a yearly practice, but something of a, a weekly rhythm. And I'll be really honest, there's been, there's been ups and downs, right? Some days I feel closer to God, more aware of Him and His beauty and love and grace. And some days I just really feel hangry. I just want a burger. I'm like, this sucks. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't feel closer to you at all, God. It's not always working out exactly how you want to work it out. But, but what I've found is that as I've given myself to this practice, or to be more precise, as I've given myself to Jesus through this practice, that for me, I've discovered what I've found that millions of followers of Jesus outside the West and in church history have long said to be true, that this is one of the most powerful disciplines in following after Jesus. And now I can honestly say that, that most of the time, I look forward to it. Because for me, through fasting, in a way my Western mind finds hard to fully comprehend, as Jesus said, there's a reward in the practice of fasting. I make myself more aware of God. I I pray not just with my mind or my words, but, but with my very body. Jesus, I just want you. Food is good. Things are nice. But all of this is fleeting. All of this pales in comparison to who you are. You are the Lord who gives and you're the Lord who takes away. And I can trust you and I can honor you and I can worship you. And so today my encouragement is quite simple. If you want to honor, uh, if you want to offer your body and all that you are to Jesus in love, why not start to think about practicing fasting? And this is the reason we're talking about it so far out to give us a good lead in. Because I really don't want it to be a thing that anyone's like, oh yeah, I guess I should maybe. And, and we don't go into it with a conviction. But that you would mull it over a little bit. That you would pray it over. That in a few weeks time as a church, you can join us on a 21 day fast. But I also want to say, while I said don't do anything too quickly, you also don't have to wait. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I think I should do this. Maybe this week, chuck in a wee cheeky fast. How's your week going? Good, just a cheeky wee fast. Right, but it can be something that we kind of enshrine in such like, oh, this is really hard. And, but it's just, it's just foregoing something. It's just teaching ourselves in a culture of pleasure and pursuit that actually what my body wants is not always the best thing. Actually, my deepest desires are actually much more important to me than the strong desires I might feel. And, and I refuse to simply be buffeted by the winds of, of culture and life all the time. I can choose what I do with my body. My body is not a bad thing, but I can choose how I honor God, how I worship God, what I do. And so my, my encouragement today is, is just to pray about it, to start where you are to simply ask God the question, God, is there some sort of way in which I can fast, in which this could be a life-giving practice for me? Is there something that you have for me in this? Church, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes in a moment. I'm gonna continue into a song of worship, but just before we do, there's two things I'd love to, one thing I'd love to do, and then I'm gonna pray for us as as a church. The first thing is, if you're here today and you've heard me speaking of this God who loves you despite what you do, that you can't impress him, that you can't eat in such a way to convince him to love you, to, to kind of badger him into thinking that you are worthwhile, but that he already sees you. He already loves you. That we fast as a way of responding to who he is and what he has done and continues to do. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you know this Jesus, 
You're not sure if you know Him as your own personal Lord and Savior. You're not sure if you know Him as God. In fact, maybe you feel in your own life that that place of Godhood is yours. You are the one who keeps the stars in the sky. You're the one who keeps things spinning, that you hold it together. I want to say that's not the way that it needs to be. And so in this moment, as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, I'd simply like to put out an invitation that if today you'd like to trust Jesus, to begin or maybe recommit to a relationship with Him, in a moment, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. And so you have a moment you can look back on and go, oh yeah, no, I made a decision then. The prayer we pray is not magical words, but the decision we make is important. So if that's you here today, you're saying, John, I wanna choose to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe as a recommitment, his head's about, his eyes are closed. It's just you and God. Would you raise your hand and let me know in three, two, one. Would you just raise your hand nice and high and let me know if today you're here with me, you wanna pray this prayer. Saying, this is me. Yeah, I see the hand. Others here today saying, yeah, no, I think I wanna... I want to follow Jesus, or maybe I've been following, but I just want to recommit. I just want to bring myself back in line. I can't be my own God. If that's you, just one more time, would you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know? Awesome. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Thank you that you love me, that you came for me. And so today I ask, be my Lord, be my God. Help me and thank you that you love me. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. And the last thing I'd like to do, just as you stand to your feet, is the band's gonna lead us back into this refrain. And hopefully you can see that, that the choice of song today was not random or happenstance, but really this, this song of worship is, is, is our banner for the next kind of four weeks as we remind ourselves of, hey, I don't want all of the other things. The other things are not bad, but I don't come to you, Jesus, for being the things that you do. I don't come to you to, to manipulate you into meeting me in some sort of way. I come to you simply as a reminder. I come to you to just meet you. If I was to define fasting in any sort of way, at, at its essence, that's what it is. God, I come to you not just with my ideas, not just my thoughts, not just with my emotions. I bring all of who I am. I bring my very body and I worship you in the way I know how. And so we're gonna sing this, but just before we do, as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, I'd love to pray for us. God, I thank you so much for the people in this room here today. God, I thank you today as, as we reflect on fasting, as we open this conversation, I pray that we would leave encouraged. God, if in some way today, some sort of condemnation has landed where people are thinking, oh man, I just don't know if I do this enough and I feel bad, God, we pray that off. We thank you that in you there is no condemnation, but in you there is an opportunity to pursue who you are and what you have for us. And so I pray today that it would not just be my uh, speaking, that it would not just be my ideas, but that you would have spoken to us. That we would leave here with something to mull over, something to think through. What could it look like for me to fast, to pursue Jesus, not just in my ideas, but in my very body? God, as we sing this song, this refrain, this prayer, would you start to do something in us where that goes from an idea and a concept into a grounded conviction and reality? Hey, I know what I can do. Jesus, I just want you. I just want to pursue you, who you are. We're caught up in you. Come on, Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 